Welcome to the Chalkboard, my fellow football nerds, for episode number 126 of Chalk Talk. I'm your host, Shane Half, and you can follow me on Twitter at ShaneHalfNFL. I'm joined today by the best co-host in the game. You've heard him on the Teft Cover radio show. It is Mark Henry Jr. Give him a follow on Twitter at MarkHenryJr. Underscore Mark, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well, doing well, uh, you know. We in between Philly's playoff games here. We had one yesterday. We've got one tomorrow. Um, it's I, there's a meme going around, and it's it's a it's George. I don't know if you're a Seinfeld guy, Shane, but uh, it's George Costanza. And there's one meme that's with a Phillies hat, and it's like, hold on, I gotta focus in, or I gotta sh- I gotta focus and shift into Red October mode. And then there's another one with the Eagles hat on, and it's like, hold on, I gotta focus and shift into Go Birds mode. And that's how I feel right now. I feel like I'm. I'm shifting night to night. Don't even tell me that the Sixers are going to start soon. <laughs> yeah, I have no such problems, but I do sympathize. Uh, <laughs> I see my I see my Twitter feed, depending on the day of the week, what night oh. it is. It is entirely different content, uh, whether, you know, it's Eagles or, or uh, Phillies. But what, anyways, a, what annoys you? What what annoys you more? Sixers uh, getting in the way of Eagles talk or Phillies getting in the way of Eagles talk? What what sport do you hate more, baseball or basketball? <laughs> I don't I don't really care. Uh, I don't I don't <laughs> mind I don't mind that talk. I don't mind all the Phillies and stuff on my Twitter. I just don't like it in my Eagles podcasts. I say <laughs> as my co-host is wearing a Sixers jersey and a Phillies hat. Yeah, Actually, yeah, yeah. While we're here, I gotta ask a question because I just think this is stupid, and maybe you can enlighten me. Uh oh. What is the deal with like buying Eagles player baseball jerseys? Like got the Eagles logo. Have you seen this? No. No, oh, I've seen it. It's like the button up baseball jersey, but it says like oh, Eagles okay. on the front and it'll say like, you know, Hertz or Kelsey on the back. I don't get it. I think that's the dumbest thing ever. Why are we mixing sports? You don't see anybody wearing a Jalen Hurts basketball jersey. What I don't get it. Doesn't make any <laughs> yeah, sense. It's just it's just people trying to have something different. People trying to be unique. I'm out on it. I agree. Yeah, okay. Glad we got that out of the way. I thought <laughs> maybe, I thought maybe you'd fight me on that one, but then nah. that's not an anti-baseball thing. I just don't get it. I don't get why I would want a football player's baseball jersey. But. It doesn't make any sense. All right. I got a comment coming in here from Daniel Barry on YouTube saying, what's up? Welcome to the show, Daniel. We're going to dive into this week five NFL slate. We're going to start, as we always do, with the Eagles game, and then we'll throw it around the rest of the NFL. And so, uh, Mark, uh, I'll set it up for us here, and I'll let you take this conversation where you want it to go. The Eagles are 5-0 and for the first time uh, in back-to-back seasons for the first time in franchise history. And it didn't look like it was going to be that way in the first half. Uh, Cooper Cup and Puka Nakua were on a trip in the first half, combining for 129 yards and a touchdown on nine catches. However, in the second half, they were held to only 60 yards on six catches. Uh, The Eagles defense allowed zero points and 81 yards in the second half. I thought the QB sneak with two seconds left before halftime, you get it or you don't score uh, to take the 17-14 lead was just a turning point in the game. That capped a five-play, 75-yard touchdown drive. It was only the 15th time since 2001 that a drive went 70 or more yards for a touchdown in the final 45 seconds of the first half. So uh, crazy execution there. Obviously some luck with that penalty on eight, or against A.J. Brown, but the Eagles are able to pull this one out. They kind of controlled the game once you got to the second half. Uh, what were your main takeaways from the Eagles-Rams game? Helen Hurts is really good. 
Um, that, that's kind of my main takeaway, honestly. I thought Jalen Hurts had a lot of moments where he won you that game. Um, a couple amazing throws to Goddard. Uh, the the one play where he was able to get out of the pocket and throw to Gainwell, who then was able to make a play and get a first down. Um, the third and seven that he rushed for and beat the guy on. And that's kind of exactly what we talked about. Um, it, uh, I don't know if it was a week or two weeks ago, uh, but when we talked about, you know, I wouldn't be worried about Jalen having to go one-on-one with a corner. I don't think he's going to get hurt when he, when he has to take on a corner. I think he hurt us. He was like, you know what? I agree, Shane. Uh, I'm going to take him on. And that's what he did on that third and seven. He, and he ran him over, and it ended up getting him 10 more yards a- after the first down. So, I mean, that's just such a back-breaking play for a defense. And, and it does seem like there was at least some conversation that must have been had between Jalen and Brian Johnson or Jalen and Nick Sirianni or whatever that became, you know, Jalen said, F it, I'm going to start running the ball again. Like, I'm not going to just tuck it, and I'm not going to just give myself up as often as I do. Um, it, it seems like he was a lot more aggressive in that game when it came to those plays, and they were a lot more aggressive in terms of calling the plays for him uh, to turn him loose in, in those situations. It reminds me of what Nick Sirianni said. At, I don't know if it was the press conference right after Jalen got paid or if it was kind of like the the wrap-up offseason press conference with Howie, but him and Howie were sitting there and they were talking about the Jalen contract and he said, we didn't pay him more for him to do less. Um, and, and that's kind of what I thought about after that game. And, and I think there had to have been some sort of strategic conversation had that said, Let's get back to doing what we were so good at last year and what breaks the back of defenses. Obviously, you have A.J. Brown, you have Dallas Goddard, you have Devontae Smith, you have an incredible run game with DeAndre Swift, you have a great O-line. Things aren't going to go perfect for your play calls every single time. And when that happens, to have the ability that Jalen does to make things happen on himself and on his own and to beat a blitz on his own, uh, it's just, I mean, it's what makes him special. You're talking on mute. <laughs> they pulled Dude, a Mark Henry Jr. There. My, yeah, my uh, I normally don't mute while you're talking, but my kids just got home and they were being loud in the <laughs> hallway, so I didn't want that to come through. And then I forgot to unmute. Um, yeah, the, that audio, the the whole we didn't pay him more to do less, I laid that audio over the clip of him laying down against the slot corner last week and posted that on Twitter. So maybe Hertz, maybe Hertz saw that one. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, Hertz had... In this game, Hertz had 4.72 EPA as a scrambler, uh, which is the third highest mark for him since the start of the 2022 season. And it was more than double what he had over the first four games combined. So he was effective as a scrambler. Uh, he threw for 303 yards and rushed for 70 yards. 300 yards passing and 70 rushing yards has only happened 10 times in the last five years. And outside of Jalen Hurts, the only guys that have done it more than once are Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson. So that's good company to be in. Offense had an incredible performance. And, you know, that's that's more what you thought the offense was going to be. Coming into this year, you thought the offense was going to be electric. They struggled over the first few weeks. I, I think they're really hitting their stride now. Yeah, I think Jalen played his best game of the year, um, obviously. 303 yards and a touchdown passing, 15 carries for 72 yards and a touchdown on the ground on the tush push there. And you mentioned it perfectly. I mean, 
the the end of the first half is what won them this game. Um, uh, Tom Brady and Bill Belichick always talk about the middle eight, the last four minutes of the of the of the first half and the first four minutes of the second half. And I, I think that I was freaking out when the Eagles took a field goal to go up 10-7 with about two minutes and 25 seconds to go. First of all, I didn't like the decision to take the field goal. I think it was fourth and two, um, and they decided to kick the field goal. Nick has been less aggressive in those spots this year, and I don't know why. Um, I, I'd like to see him get back to, to fourth down aggressiveness there. Um, but took the field goal. While I didn't like the decision, I understood it. If you wasted the clock down to the two-minute warning, there was two minutes and 25 seconds left. The clock was running, and they kicked it with 2.25 instead of what they could have done, which was run it down to basically 201, um, and which would have given the Rams less time to go down the field and score. Now, that ended up working out because the Rams go right down and score, which gives the, the Eagles 45 seconds to go down and mount their five-play 75-yard uh, drive to get down the field. Um, and being able to take that from a 14-10 game to a 17-14 game going into halftime, and then coming out of halftime and getting a three and out right away, that's massive. I mean, that is what shifted the game right there, the end of the first half, and then that started the second half. Um, I Obviously, all of us, after the Rams scored, would have happily taken 14-13 at half. We would have happily taken a field goal and been down one. But to be able to go down there and get that pass interference from Brown and then not be – I mean, not be too afraid to call the tush push with two seconds to go. I think there's a lot of coaches who wouldn't have called that play in that situation. Nick Sirianni's not one of them. Uh, so I, I thought that that was a huge, huge shifting point in that game. It really took me back to the Super Bowl Philly special right before halftime instead of kicking the field goal. But um, to your on, on that that field goal that you took exception with, it was a, so it was fourth and three. Uh, on the 16-yard line with 2.15 left. Uh, for what it's worth, analytic models show that as a field goal uh, attempt. Wow. Field goal attempt added 1.6 win percentage over going for it. So if they're using the same sort of models that are out there for public consumption, the, the model would have told them to go there, uh, although, or excuse me, would have told them to kick there. Uh, although I, I am with you that I do feel Sirianni has been a little less aggressive so far this year. Live in that moment, would you have expected that? Would you have expected the models to say kick the field goal? Or what would you have thought just based on, like, did, did you want them to go for it in that spot? Yeah, I, I thought you go for it there as well uh, because I just didn't feel like you were going to stop the Rams. I mean, that was problematic at this point. And so I probably would have went for it. But at the same time, the Eagles have also really struggled in the red zone. And so you go down in that condensed area. So I wasn't upset with them kicking the field goal. I slightly leaned to go for it, but uh, I didn't have too big of an issue with it. Oh, I'm really surprised uh, that that the model said that. That's, that's really interesting. Yeah. Uh, and then on the defensive side of the ball, uh, now the Eagles defense got torched in the first half. I'm in the middle of working on an all 22 video to talk about what adjustments they made at halftime. Uh, they made a lot of adjustments. They threw a lot of different things at the Rams. And to be honest, I'm not sure any of them worked. I, I think they just got lucky in the second half. I think pressures Matthew Stafford, who, by the way, according to certain people out there is a better quarterback than Jalen hurts. Don't forget that. Uh, 
Matthew Stafford cost them that game. He missed throws. And this isn't me grinding an axe. I, I legitimately thought the pressure got to him. Uh, he was sped up. He missed some throws. I thought Cooper Cup looked a hair off, maybe conditioning thing with him coming off of his injury. There was a few times he wasn't where Stafford wanted him to be. And so the cumulative pressure and Cup being a hair off and Stafford just sort of, he didn't fall apart, but he missed some throws that you would expect him to normally make. And, you know, that's part of it. You invest so much in the defensive line at the expense of other positions. You need your pass rush to get in quarterback's heads. And I felt like that's what happened in that game. But this was the Rams' worst game by offensive success rate this season. And it was the first game they had Cooper Cup back, and he looked good. And so uh, I think a lot of that's noise with some missed throws. But uh, the Eagles' defense was able to put enough pressure to induce those missed throws in the second half. Yeah, no, I think that, you know, the main takeaway from the Eagles defense in this game that at least from a positive standpoint is just Jalen Carter. I mean, the takeaway on offense is Jalen. The takeaway on defense is Jalen. Jalen Carter looked like just a game wrecker in this game, specifically on the one sack where I thought, you know, Matthew Stafford was going to crumple. Um, that was just a mean thing to do. I mean, that was that was a mean sack. Uh, being able to being able to throw Stafford, a big boy in Matt Stafford, to the ground like that. I mean, Jalen Carter just continues to shock and impress every week. And I know you had a good stat out there today um, about Jalen Carter. I don't know if you have that handy um, around you right there, but it's referencing over the last couple decades or forget exactly the parameters of that just how impressive he's been uh what was that tweet yeah it's so in the last decade there's been 26 uh defensive tackles that have been drafted in the first round only four of them have had more than three and a half sacks as a rookie jalen carter has three and a half sacks in five games uh i can't find the tweet because i put way too much on the timeline uh (laughs) to tell you who those are i know ed oliver was one he had five Deron Payne had four, um, Aaron Donald had nine, and I can't remember who the other guy was that had four. But, yeah, so he's an elite company there. Yeah, no, he's absolutely the takeaway on defense. And then it's – it's. I mean, I guess given the fact they only gave up like 100 yards in the second half and didn't allow a, a point in the second half – Maybe we should walk away a little bit more positive than we are. But like you said, I do think Stafford missed some throws and missed some opportunities that would have made the second half not look quite as pristine. Um, Specifically, there was a a couple throws across the middle, um, 15 to 30 yards down the field that would have been first downs and kind of set you back on those drives if you're the Rams. So I, I agree with you. I didn't think Stafford played a good game in this game, and I thought he cost them a lot. Uh, Cooper Cup and Puka Nakua and even Tutu Atwell and even Tyler Higby, it felt like we're open all game. It felt like they had open guys all over the place. Um, and in the first half, Slay and Bradbury were getting picked on. And we can talk till the cows come home about Mario Goodrich and Josh Job and and now Bradley Roby, who, by the way, looked apparently really good in this game. Um, I, I don't know if you've went back to w- watch that or take a look at that yet, but he graded out really well and uh, some of the stats would say he played really well in that game. Um, but if we're going to talk about those guys and criticize what they've done and say who should play, we, I mean, Slay and Bradbury are going to have to play better than they played in the first half, regardless of what those guys that are filling in are going to be able to do because 
That's why we're paying Slay and Bradbury to take down CB1 and CB2 roles um, on the team. So uh, they're going to have to step up like they presumably did in the second half. Yeah, absolutely. You're going to have to get better play out of the back end of your secondary over the long haul. Hopefully they're able to get there as the season goes along. Uh, any other notes that you want to throw out about that game before we move on to Thursday night football? Yeah, I guess one more note that I'll throw out is I'm kind of getting tired of doing the whole thing every week where it's like Devontae Smith's not getting the ball this week or Dallas Goddard's not getting the ball this week or A.J. Brown's not getting the ball this week. Guys, have you played fantasy football before? Like how many teams have three pass catchers that get a lot of work every week? It's just I mean, realist, it's not realistic. Like, it obviously happened at times last year. We were incredibly dominant as an offense last year. Um, but even if you look at it, there were stretches last year where each one of those three guys went through cold streaks um, in terms of statistics. So I'm just kind of getting tired of, like, the hand-wringing every single week about who gets left out and uh, what it means and everything that it leads to. I'm kind of getting tired of the conversation. It's gonna. It's hard to feed three different guys – when A.J. Brown is – I mean, the likelihood that one of those guys is going to have a monster game and there's going to be a matchup that you want to exploit is pretty high. So when that happens, someone's probably going to fall by the wayside, especially when you factor in how much work DeAndre Swift has been getting. Um, so, I, you know, I don't think it's anything that we need to be spending time on. Uh, so I guess I just wasted two minutes. Yeah, well, uh, speaking of who's getting the ball uh, – Early, early leans, early betting lean for the week. Uh, I've got to find the number here. Uh, oh, I, it's it might not be up. Well, I, I don't care what the number is. Whatever the number is for Devonta Smith over receiving yards, smash that button. Uh, he didn't. He wasn't very involved last week. He didn't throw a fit. He did take a walk on the sideline. Sirianni was talking to him. Whatever. They make a concerted effort to get those guys involved early. And by the way, Sauce Gardner is going to be following A.J. Brown around everywhere. So Devonta Smith over receiving yards. If it's anything under like 75, I think that's money in the bank. Yeah, it'll probably be like 70 and a half if I had to guess. Yeah. Okay, let's turn the page here to Thursday Night Football. Uh, the Chicago Bears beat the Washington Commanders 40 to 20. After 170 receiving yards in the first three games, DJ Moore has 361 yards and four scores in the last two weeks. He is the first Chicago Bear to have 200-plus receiving yards and three-plus touchdowns in the same game since 1954. Uh, Justin Fields is starting to look more comfortable. He's starting to stack good performances, albeit against Washington and Denver, uh, which are not exactly good defenses. Meanwhile, uh, on Washington's side, Sam Howell has been sacked 29 times in five games. Uh, the record for sacks in a season is David Carr with 76. Mark Sam Howell is on pace for 98 sacks right now. Uh, and in addition to that, their defense is just awful too. Uh, they surrendered five plays of over 25 yards, giving them a league-high 16 such plays so far this year. Emmanuel Forbes got benched in this game. Uh, Washington is a train wreck. Yeah, I, I just I can't believe there were people after three weeks when this team was two and one that were trying to act like this was a good football team, or after two weeks when they were two and zero, oh, uh, trying to act like this was a good football team. 
but I will say it's a little concerning how bad this team looked on Thursday night and how good they looked against the Eagles. But, you know, any given Sunday or any given Thursday in this case. But, yeah, I think the focus of the game is on Justin Fields. Um, I, I think people were so willing to just throw him in the trash after a couple bad games. And it's just I just think quarterback discourse is just so far gone at this point. Um, I don't think there's any rational conversation to be had about quarterbacks. And that's a shame um, because I think Justin Fields is a guy who I'm banking on succeeding on the next team that he's on. And I know that this is a brief positive and they won this game. And, you know, I'm sure there's Bears fans talking themselves into him being the guy. I have no doubts that this regime will move on from Justin Fields and draft their own guy. Um, maybe that's even the right decision, considering where they'll be picking in the draft and the prospects that they'll have the opportunity to take. Um, but what they've done to Justin Fields is disgusting, and I think he showed the talent that he does have over the last two games. What is it, eight touchdowns over two games now? Yeah, something like that. I'm a little sad that he started to turn it on because I I messaged you in Discord and said that the Falcons, like he needs to be a Falcon. And I think that's less likely to happen because he's played good these last two games, but I would love to see him out of Chicago. And I mean, can you imagine the Arthur Smith offense with Justin Fields in the pistol, right? You know, it, it would just be phenomenal to watch. So that's probably not going to happen at the trade deadline, but uh, we'll maybe get into some other moves. The Falcons should be making at quarterback here uh, in a little bit. Let's go on to the Sunday morning uh, early game in London. For the second week in a row, we talked last week, is it a benefit for the Jags to stay there? Uh, is it a benefit to the Bills because they haven't been out of the routine so long? Well, the Jags won 25-20. to 20, And despite winning, like they still can't get out of their own way. Like They should have won by more than five. They, they lead the NFL in drops. They had several drops in this game. They committed eight penalties. Lawrence fumbled twice. The Jags lead the NFL in fumbles per game. But it was the defense that stepped up, and you would have never guessed that's what that's where help would have come from. But they held a Bills def or a Bills offense that's averaging 41 points per game over the last three weeks to only 20 points. Uh, Travis Etienne had 132 yards and two touchdowns. Calvin Ridley had 122 yards, and the Bills' running game just disappeared. Uh, they had 15 carries for 10 yards for or 15 yards on 10 carries. I said that backwards for their running backs. And then a Bills defense that was already without Tredavious White uh, now loses star linebacker Matt Milano to a fractured leg and a potential ACL injury. I haven't heard for sure, but regardless, he's out for the year. The blows continue to come for the Buffalo defense, and Josh Allen can lift you out of any hole at any given time. But I feel a lot less good about Buffalo than I did a couple weeks ago before these injuries started to mount on the defense. They also lost Daquan Jones indefinitely, who is apparently like a PFF darling um, on the defensive line. Not a guy who pops off the screen or gets 15 sacks or anything like that, but apparently a guy who grades out really well and an important part of Sean McDermott's defense. But losing a defensive lineman for the rest of the year, a linebacker in Matt Milano, one of their star players for the rest of the year, and Tredavious White, a corner and one of their star players for the rest of the year. I think you can erase the Buffalo Bills as a Super Bowl contender. How about that for a take right there? All right, man. Mark's coming out of the gate here. Uh, and that's a shame because three weeks ago I came on here and said everyone's freaking out too much about the Bills and their Super Bowl contender and Josh Allen's the second-best quarterback in football and 
all this stuff. And I was Mr. Bills for a couple of weeks there, hammered him against the commanders, hammered him against the dolphins. And at a certain point, how much can you withstand? That's three massive parts of their defense. Von Miller also left this game due to injury. He's probably fine. I, I think the, the report I heard on him was positive. But, man, you go to London and you walk out with three less starters potentially, and over the last two weeks you've lost four starters potentially. So it's just a brutal the, – the hits keep on coming for Buffalo, and uh, at a certain point, you know, it's going to become a team that has to score 30 to win. Uh, if not, maybe maybe the Bills' defense will – plug and play and whoever their defensive coordinator is will get a job based on it. But I have a hard time believing that the recipe to finally getting over the top and finally beating Mahomes is to have less of your star players available. I I don't know. Yeah. I got a comment coming in on YouTube here from Anthony. First time catching one of these live. Welcome to the live version of the show. Anthony, glad you're here in the chat with us. Let's roll on to uh, Houston at Atlanta. Uh, Houston drops this game 19 to 21. Mark, for the second time in three weeks, the team I canceled the week before came out with a W. Uh, the Atlanta Falcons get the win here. Uh, Desmond Ritter had his best game as a pro, topping 300 yards passing and orchestrating a game winning field goal drive. Uh, I thought the Falcons pressed a lot and they disrupted timing between Stroud and his receivers, which that's what this whole offense is. It's Stroud with timing with receivers that aren't that great. Uh, but he trusts them to get where they're supposed to be. They were also able to hold Damian Pierce to 66 yards on 20 carries. However, CJ Stroud still has not thrown an interception. He's now thrown 186 passes without an interception, which passes Dak Prescott's rookie record of 176. So the streak continues there for CJ Stroud. Hopefully for Texans fans, he doesn't turn into Dak Prescott. Yeah, yeah, I, I I watched this whole game because I had uh, a game of the year on Texans plus two and a half. Fun fact, uh, it was my first football game of the year this year. Cashed by the, you know, the the skin of my chinny chin chin there uh, with a half point there losing by two. Um, CJ Stroud had an incredible drive that should have won this game. Um, and, and obviously the Falcons then go with a minute left and get a field goal. Good job by them there. Um, but Taking that out of it, I have a little bit of a take here that I actually saw a couple other people have on Twitter. When does this CJ Stroud interception thing start to be a negative? Like, when does this start to be a little bit of a game manager stat? Because I will say, I did think there were times in this game that he didn't take chances. There were times in this game that he was kind of conservative and and checked it down and maybe took a sack or threw it away. Um, I mean, he broke the record on throwaway like that that's how he broke that record and the announcer was like maybe not the fashion you want to break a record but the record broken nonetheless like uh <laughs> yeah so it was kind of funny that way but uh, cj Stroud's incredible this is not me picking him apart at all if anything it's probably me picking apart like the system um and, and what it's allowing stroud to do um but when it felt like stroud kind of turned it loose was on that last drive and they went down and they finally got in the end zone because so many other times in this game, they got down to the red zone and had to settle for a field goal. And it's not even like they weren't aggressive, like fourth and two, fourth and three. Most of the time, it was just fourth and six. Uh, and at that point, uh, you know, it, it wasn't really an option to go for it. I will say 
I've noticed over the first five weeks, D'Amico Ryans might have a little bit of Shanahan in him where he's not a big go for it guy, which makes sense as a defender too. Like he's probably going to be a conservative head coach in that way. Kind of similar to Vrabel. Um, but yeah, he might have a, he might've been infected with the Shanahan disease of not being aggressive enough in San Francisco. CJ Stroud ranks 31st out of 34 qualifying quarterbacks uh, in big time throw rate per PFF. So at 2%. So yeah, he is playing risk averse football right now. Um, you know, and a lot of that, his O line's so hurt. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I don't think it's, I don't think it's the book on what he will become, but it is, you do bring up a good point. It's something that's worth monitoring, you know, throughout the rest of his rookie season and really over the next couple of years. Yeah. I mean, at this, I just think, he might just need to throw a pick. <laughs> just, just, he might see it go down. Yeah, see it happen. He just needs to get up there in a game that they're losing and can't come back. He just needs to like get up to get up under center and be talk to the defensive tackle. And be like, "Hey, you ever caught an interception? I'm, I'm going to give you one. I got to get this monkey <laughs> off my back." Yeah, no, they need it. They need it. They have a fun another game, by the way, in honor of them covering that game. I'll be betting on them against the Saints this week, plus one and a half. Lock it in. All right. There we go. Let's go to Detroit, where the Carolina Panthers get beat 42-24. to uh, Aiden Hutchinson, man, uh, he intercepted a screen pass. It was his fourth interception of his NFL career after having zero in college and also zero in high school. Uh, four interceptions is the most by a defensive lineman in the first 25 games of his career in NFL history. He also got a sack in this game. Uh, Aiden Hutchinson is everything that Trevon Walker and to be honest, Kevon Thibodeau has not been so far. Uh, Bryce Young struggled in this game. He threw two picks. The O-line was bad. There was no running game. Uh, For the first time since 2011, the Detroit Lions have four wins through the first five weeks of the season. And, you know, we'll get to Monday Night Football later, but they are solidly in control of the NFC North. They're more than twice as good as they've ever been in DVOA through five weeks of the of the NFL season. Um, a lot of that is to do with their schedule. It's been an easy schedule here for Detroit to start the year, um, besides the Kansas City game. Uh, but I'm not taking anything away, and I think they're very clearly the third-best team in the NFC. I think that they are a more serious contender than Dallas by a long shot for me. Um, and the the interesting thing will be Seattle, and that's a whole other conversation. They were on a bye this week. Seattle was 3-1. and one. Maybe they're the third-best team. They did beat Detroit. Um, they're the quietest 3-1 and one team of all time, I think. I don't think anyone's said a word about the Seahawks. Um, but taking the Seahawks out who didn't play this week, I think the Lions are the third-best team, and I think they're maybe the fifth or sixth-best team in football. Um, you look at that roster, it just doesn't have a lot of weaknesses. Um, they're They're pretty – solid top to bottom. They've got tremendous depth. Jared Goss playing the best football of his career. The most impressive part of this win, and obviously it's a bad Carolina team. It's the worst team in football. Uh, But the most impressive part is it was done without Jameer Gibbs and Amon Ross St. Brown. Um, So it it was done without maybe one of their most important players in Amon Ross. So that's kind of one of my biggest questions about the Lions was their weapons outside of Amon Ross St. Brown. They answered that question a little bit in this game. Yeah. Uh, and also, I mean, they're missing Brian Branch, which remind was his injury. I can't remember what his injury was now. I know he's I can't still, remember either. I, 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 I will I, say, I, look, look, 
I want to say that I thought it was a season ender, but I can't remember for certain now. It could have been. I will say, speaking about another Lions rookie here, uh, Sam Laporta looks incredible. Sam Laporta looks like the best tight end from the draft right now. Um, and I think he's been put in a really good situation to succeed, but there is a lot of Gronk in Sam Laporta. I mean, you can just see it. He, he's an absolute freak out there. Um, makes big plays after the catch, makes big plays blocking. Um, he'll run you over. Lot to be excited about with Detroit with their tight end there. Yeah, uh, I was trying to look up here. Uh, Campbell told the media on Friday they don't feel as good about Branch this weekend, but it's not looking like a long term thing, which is why they didn't okay. put him on IR. So uh, it was non contact. Yeah, that's what it was. It was non contact. And when we recorded last week, we didn't know what the diagnosis was yet. And I just forgot to go look it up. So I guess it's not a long term thing. So that's good. Yeah, yeah, oh. I I, th- I know that they Chauncey Gardner Johnson. I think it was out for the was, year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. All right, let's go to Indianapolis. Where speaking of injuries, uh, for the fourth time in five games, Anthony Richardson did not finish a game. He's expected to miss at least the Jags game, maybe more with an apparent AC shoulder, AC joint injury in his throwing shoulder. Um. That's one story of this game. The other one is that moments after the Colts paid and activated Jonathan Taylor, Zach Moss racked up 195 <laughs> yards from scrimmage. His He had 77 rushing yards over expectation, and he became the first 100-yard rusher versus the Titans since week one of the 2022 season. Gardner Minshew played, good, played well in this game, well enough to win. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins was the only Titans receiver who had more than one catch in this game. He had eight for 140 yards. And then, you know, down to the end of the game, after stopping the Titans on a fourth and one at the five with nine minutes left, clinging to a four-point lead, the Colts went on a 14-play, 84-yard field goal drive that milked seven minutes and three seconds off the clock. Uh, The Titans got the ball back down seven with about a minute left and ultimately threw an interception, but Shane Steichen doing in Indianapolis what he did last year in Philadelphia. Nobody's better at just running out the clock on a lead uh, than Shane Steichen uh, when he was with Philly last year and obviously when he's with Indianapolis this year. Uh, And Indy gets out of this one with another victory. And suddenly, I mean, they're looking competitive in that AFC South that we thought would be a joke as well. Yeah, the AFC South and the NFC South, both kind of more competitive than we expected. Um, yeah, the, the Colts, they're just so competent. Um, John, Shane Steichen's doing such an incredible job. They have receivers stepping up, like Josh Downs as a rookie, really stepping into a big role here for the Colts. Uh, Michael Pittman, obviously, been incredibly consistent over the last couple of years. And I think the focus of the game, even though Zach Moss ran for all of those yards, is the Jonathan Taylor situation. And I don't think it makes sense that they didn't do this three months ago. If you were going to give Jonathan Taylor this contract, I I don't know why it happened in week five. Um, But we were all along. I mean, neither of us say ever pay a running back generally. Um, But we all along said this is a situation where you do. You're not going to have to pay Anthony Richardson for at least four years. Um, You have him on the rookie wage scale. You have the money to spend for a three-year deal for a running back. Uh, That was always my point with Jonathan Taylor. I'm happy they got the job done. And I do think even though 
Maybe they don't need him. Maybe Zach Moss is the new Jonathan Taylor. Um, I do think it should help Anthony Richardson whenever he is able to get back in the lineup. But above all else, they have to figure out a way to protect Anthony Richardson from himself. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's he has shown in flashes why I had him as QB one on my big board. But if he can't stay healthy, it's never going to matter. No, not at all. Okay, let's go to Miami, where the New York Giants got beat 31-16 to by the Dolphins. Uh, Tua threw two interceptions in this game to give the Giants life, including a 102-yard pick six. Uh, however, Tua now has 1,614 yards through five games, passing Dan Marino's franchise record uh, of 1575 set in 1994. So uh, two is on a terrific pace here. Obviously throwing two interceptions against the Giants isn't something that you want to see happen. Uh, This is the fifth or excuse me. This is the first time, the first time in five years that a team went plus three in turnover differential and still lost by two scores. So shout out to the Giants for just becoming another statistic. Uh, They have allowed 18 sacks in the last two games. They're missing three starters on their offensive line. Daniel Jones left the game with a neck injury in the fourth quarter. Uh, The Giants are in shambles. Also, I thought this was crazy, Mark. Uh, Devon A-Chain reached a top speed of 21.76 miles per hour on a 76-yard touchdown run. Next Gen Stats tracks the fastest ball carrier speeds. The Dolphins have the top seven speeds this season. Like, literally, I saw someone tweet, so-and-so reached this speed, and it's the fastest non-Dolphin speed. Like, that's where we're at with team speed, that you have to have a non-Dolphin leaderboard. It's insane how fast this team is. Yeah, it's a shame that Devon Chain got hurt in this game. Yeah. Um, he's gonna he's gonna miss a, some significant time here. He is so fun to watch. It's just, I mean, it's like you know, it, it's a cliche to say, but it's video game speed. Like you just don't see people as fast as a chain on an athletic field outside of track and fields. I mean, it's truly, truly special speed. And hopefully, this isn't something that follows him around. Hopefully, he's able to stay healthy. Um, but to add another weapon to that offense like that just seems unfair. Um, and Mike yeah. McDaniel. Had some really funny quotes this week. They traded for Chase Claypool. And the first thing he says is, guys, do you want me to say it? He's fast. <laughs> and, so, and then after the game, uh, the Dolphins set the record for yardage output in the first five games of the season. They asked his opinion. Did you hear this, Shane? I, I saw it, yeah. Yeah, mission accomplished. Yeah, yeah we, came, we came out this year and our only goal – was output in the first five weeks of the season and setting uh, a statistical record. So mission accomplished. I love Mike McDaniel so much. Like I I really can't explain how much I look forward to his little quips after the game. And you can just bank on them. Like Twitter after a Dolphins game will have a funny Mike McDaniel press conference clip on it. And it's like his faces, it's little interactions with the beat reporters. He's the only non-Eagles head coach I've ever searched on YouTube, Mike McDaniel press conference. I'm watching a Giants-Dolphins coaching post-game press conference because of this guy. Like, it's just very funny. I I love Mike McDaniel. Yeah, I I heard – I was talking to a guy uh, the other day, and we were talking about just NFL stuff in general, and he mentioned the Dolphins. Their coach, 
he's kind of weird. I was like, oh, he's hilarious. <laughs> I love Mike McDaniel. I, I have a question for you. Um, so I just mentioned the Bills are in trouble, in my opinion. I still think they'll make the playoffs, but the Bills are in trouble. I don't think they're a Super Bowl contender. The Dolphins are a game ahead of the Bills here, uh, but the Bills did beat the Dolphins. If you had to say right now, who do you think wins that division? I would still bet the Bills. That's interesting. It, I, I think I'd go Dolphins. It's it's hard for me, and I know, but it's still hard for me to trust that Tua is going to stay healthy. Hmm. Yeah, I mean that's fair. I guess the, I guess if you made the asterisk Tua staying healthy. Yeah, yeah. I got a comment here on Facebook. Ask what's that noise? Are you hearing any sort of feedback or anything, no, Mark? No, no, nothing on my end. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not hearing anything either, Tyler. Uh, hopefully, hopefully you're just yanking our chain there, or at least hopefully, hopefully it's on not, your end. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Uh, hopefully, or hopefully it's not too bad if other people are hearing it, but I'm not hearing anything. Uh, oh, okay, okay, okay. Tyler, okay. get him out. I don't want him in <laughs> here. I don't have the power. It's get him Harper, out of here. Harper being doubled oh, up. Okay. <laughs> that's disgusting that we just acknowledged that. <laughs> I I want to vomit. Tyler Dyer, you're dired to me. You're dead to me, Tyler Dyer. I'll say it. That's not that, – oh, I'm, I'm talking football. I'm forgetting about it. No, that's that's good. He got us. I, I can't – Yeah, uh, that, that's a good one. I like that. I like that. You get a gold star, especially because you riled nah, he should get, he should get He should get blocked. <laughs> All right, let's move on to New England. Uh, where the Patriots got embarrassed by. <laughs> I'm, I'm still pissed. laughing about this. I'm pissed, Tyler. Uh, pissed me the, off. the Patriots got embarrassed by the New Orleans Saints, 34 to zero. And the Patriots' 34 point margin of defeat is the second largest loss of Bill Belichick's career. The record was a 35 point loss to the Cowboys that came. Uh, let me check my notes here. Uh, last week, so. Rough two-week stretch for Bill Belichick and the Patriots. Uh, the Saints forced three turnovers. They only allowed eight first downs on 14 possessions. Mac Jones was sent to the bench for a second consecutive week. Like Mark, this has to be the end of the Bill Belichick era in New England. It's over, right? Yeah, I don't know. I don't even really have anything to say. Like, my, <laughs> I don't even know what to say. Like, what are you? Where do you start? Where do you start? I, I don't even know where to start. The GM, the drafting of skill position players, the fact that you developed one in Jacoby Myers and then let him walk because you'd rather give the money you could have given to him to Juju Smith-Schuster. Like, I mean, to be fair, to be fair, he was a sleeper agent in that Raiders game last year. There was reason yeah, to question Jacoby Myers' loyalty. <laughs> He's killing it for the Raiders now too, of course. I, like, I'm telling something... you, the conspiracy, the plot thickens. Mark Davis went to him. What we're referring to. Uh, it was Jacoby Myers trying to lateral a ball that ended up getting recovered by the Raiders and returned for a touchdown to win that game last year. So you can go look it up on YouTube or Twitter. It's out there. Uh, it was a pretty funny moment last season. Josh McDaniels went to him and he said, hey, man, if you look at my record since week six of my first year in Denver, it's really bad. <laughs> like, I really need a win. If you just do something colossally stupid at the end of this game, if it is close, I'll make sure Mark Davis signs you for like too much money in the offseason. He's like, sign me up. 
Bill Belichick's yep. not going to pay me anything. So yeah. <laughs> that's like, it was a Chicago White Sox 1919 Black Sox scandal. You know about this, Shane? You know about the 1919 Black Sox? I mean, I grew up watching Field of Dreams, so I know. There you that. go. Okay, there we go. Yeah, yeah. So cool. I, I think, I mean, the the back the backstory to that was actually the owner was cheap. The owner wouldn't pay the players. The players were like, "All right, f you. We're not getting anything extra for winning a World Series. We'll go to the gamblers." Funny story there. Gamblers never paid them. They didn't, they never got the money that they did that that they threw the World Series for. So funny story. But three twenty two New England Black Patriot Black. Pat, but I don't know how to make that work. <laughs> the New England, uh, I have to do a gate. I have to add a gate to it. It's yeah. always got to be a gate with New England. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, it's it's dark. The defense, you know, there. Do you talk about the fact that he's got two sons on his staff in prominent roles? Do you talk about the fact that, like you always point out, he doesn't ever hire anyone that hasn't previously worked for him? Um, there's a lot of concerns. Apparently he's eyeing the chargers job. Did you hear that? I did not. If the chargers let him anywhere near Justin Herbert, I will scream. So do you think no one should hire him? No, that's not true. Okay. So here, I'm going to tell you where I'm at on bill Belichick. I, I actually don't know. So here's where I'm at. New he can't stay at new England. Here's why. Some people would say New England needs to go to him and say, we're hiring a GM. You no longer have personnel control, but we'll keep you as a coach. I don't think you can do that because the Patriots are going to be picking high enough to take a quarterback. And Belichick botched this development of Mac Jones last time with his hiring of Joe Judge, Matt Patricia, Bill O'Brien. He botched it completely. So the Patriots have to get rid of him. He cannot stay in New England. Now, if the Patriots fired him tomorrow, which is not going to happen. They're not going to fire him midseason. If he was fired tomorrow, is there an NFL team out there that wouldn't make a call to try to get him on as a defensive assistant? I don't think there is. Like, he's still a good defensive coach for the most part. I, I think he I think he would get hired if he wants to keep coaching. I don't think he was going to get GM control anywhere. And actually, I wouldn't hate the Chargers because you've got Kellen Moore who's going to run your offense bring him in there and let him run your defense. It's going to be an improvement on Brandon Staley. I actually, honestly, I wouldn't hate that at all because he wouldn't be the one in charge of Justin Herbert. So I think that'd be fine. That'd probably be a good move. Yeah. I mean, he's going to get a head coaching job if he wants one. I think it's probably that simple. Yeah. And then on the The other side of this game, 34, nothing. Yeah. Yeah. As I say, on the (laughs) other side of the ball, we didn't even mention the saints, Alvin Kamara, Generated 97 yards from scrimmage. I thought Derek Carr looked better. I mean, I'm still not in on the Saints, but somebody's got to win the division, so maybe it will be them. Yeah, if you had to pick right now, who are you picking? I think I still lean the Falcons. But it's because... huh? I think I lean Tampa. Yeah, I it would be one of those two for me. I think I would have Falcons, Tampa, New Orleans is my order. But I think any of those three could win it. I think if Desmond Ritter turns over a new leaf, Atlanta gets pretty good. If he continues to be bad, I think they go to Taylor Heineke. And I think you can get more out of Heineke than you got out of Mariota last year. So I still like Atlanta, but I could see any of those three teams coming out. Yeah, I mean, the way the NFC looks, there's a chance that this division, we thought that 7-10 and 10 could potentially win, produces two playoff teams. 
Yeah, it's certainly possible. Okay, let's go over to the AFC now where we have to talk about the Baltimore Ravens losing oh. to the Pittsburgh Steelers on the road 17 to 10. Um the Steelers uh blocked a punt for a safety to make it 10 to 5 in the fourth quarter. Joey Porter Jr. gets an interception in the end zone when the Ravens threatened to make it a two-score game. Uh, the Steelers took a lead with a minute 17 left, and then an Alex Highsmith strip sack was recovered by T.J. Watt with a minute 02 left. Uh, the Steelers promptly went negative six yards and burned only... Get a load of this, Mark. You've got a lead. You get the ball with a minute and two seconds left. You manage to burn 13 seconds and go negative six yards. And then you kick a field goal and your defense has to get another stop, which they did to win the game. Two things I've got to point out. I cannot stress how bad the Ravens skill position players were in this game. Justice Hill fumbled. The Ravens had seven drops, three by Mark Andrews, two by Zay Flowers, one by Rashad Bateman, and one by Nelson Aguilar. There are only five games in the last four years with seven or more drops. The Ravens offensive skill players were horrific. It can also not be overstated how awful the Steelers' offense is. They are dead last in success rate. The difference between them and number 31, which is New England, is the same as the difference between them or between New England and number 13, which is Dallas. I I saw a clip on Twitter today. Ben Roethlisberger was talking about the Steelers' offense. And one of the lines he said in there, he said, like, you can steal stuff from other teams. Everybody watches other teams. Why isn't Matt Canada watch? Like, he's obviously clueless. Just watch another team and do what they do. Like, the Steelers' offense is atrocious. Yeah, it's a joke. Uh, Matt Canada should be tarred and feathered publicly in the city of Pittsburgh. Um, Did you see the video that when Pickett made an audible there at the line and threw the touchdown to Pickens, uh, everyone's going nuts on the sideline except for Matt Canada? Pickett's a better play caller than Canada. Yeah, Canada looked pissed at the fact that they scored a touchdown and the fact that they could probably directly tie it back to not him. Um, So, yeah, it's just pathetic. Um, He's a moron. He's ruining what could be a good Steelers team here. And it's funny, like one of my big takes of the offseason was Steelers over eight and a half wins um, and Steelers at plus money to make the playoffs. Those are two of my biggest futures. And if you would have told me they'd be three and two with wins over Baltimore, and did they beat Cincinnati? Uh, I can't remember now. Or Cleveland, maybe. I, I can't remember who they beat and who they, they lost. They beat to. one of the other divisional teams. Yeah, they. I mean, they have they. They're three and two here, and you'd think that you'd feel good beat, about it. They beat Cleveland, lost yeah. to San Fran, lost to Houston, beat Cleveland, Las Vegas, and Baltimore. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you'd think that you'd feel good about the fact that you beat Baltimore and Cleveland. Uh, you don't feel good. I've never feel, felt worse about a three and two team. Has there ever been a less impressive three and two team in the history of football than the twenty twenty three Pittsburgh Steelers? I don't know, but I feel bad for T.J. Watt mm-hmm. because yeah. man, is he good? Did you see the story about his finger? No. He, so he dislocated his finger during the game and it's going to require surgery in the off season, but he like popped it back into place and kept playing. And he's like, I'll have surgery after the season's over. What an absolute monster. I mean, insane. he's just an animal. Yeah. Insane stuff. Uh, uh, there was, there was more to it than that. There was something about 
uh, badly dislocated finger and torn ligaments against the Ra- Yeah, this is the headline. TJ Watt suffered, quote, badly dislocated finger and torn ligaments against Ravens, semicolon. Won't miss a game. <laughs> <laughs> like professional athletes are just different, man. If, if I dislocated my finger with no torn ligaments, I wouldn't even be on this podcast tonight. I'd be like in bed with ice packs and ceasing to exist. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I, I felt horrible uh, for for TJ Watt, but I feel even more horrible for Lamar in this game. And Lamar made bad plays. Lamar made bad throws. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, we thought we were past this. We, we thought we were past the full incompetence of the offense around him, and I don't think we are. Literally 24% of his pass attempts were dropped. That's insane. And it was it was a joke watching it live. Like it, Mark Andrews had drops, Nelson Aguilar, unlike Aguilar. Yeah, that was my little that was my verbal meme there. Um, but Aguilar had drops, which shocking that Nelson Aguilar would have drops. Um, and Rashad Bateman has become a bit of a drops, a consistent drops guy as well. Um, so yeah, it, it's a shame that Baltimore can't seem to figure it out. Uh, around Lamar and what to do around Lamar. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to the afternoon slate. Uh, We've got Cincinnati staying in the same division at Arizona. They went 34 to 20. Joe Burrow looked a lot more like himself in this game. He had a couple scrambles. He looked better moving in the pocket. Cincinnati gained a season high 380 yards. And of course, Jamar Chase, Uh, who famously said, I'm always open, had 15 receptions for 192 yards and three touchdowns. It was his second 10-plus reception, 150-plus yards, three-plus touchdown game. Only Jerry Rice has done that more than twice, and he did it three times. As for the Cardinals, uh, the Cardinals continue to hang in games. They're plucky, but they're not talented enough to win them. Uh, Cardinals fans should be encouraged, though. Like The ideal outcome for them is to be in and continue to lose every game and and get good draft picks. Like they need to follow the bears blueprint from last season. Yeah, no, I I totally agree with that. Uh, And yeah, I I think I said it all on this one. (laughs) All right. Well, let's roll on to our next game. I'm going to need you to bear with me for just a second because I need to share my screen uh, with you for this one. Uh. Oh, no, now my whole screen just went black. Okay, we're back. Uh, (laughs) Just so you guys know. I mean, you guys listen to audio. We don't edit this. It's just what you see is what you get. Uh, But we're going to go to Denver, where the New York Jets beat the Denver Broncos 31-21. to Mark, I've been sitting on this one for a long time. We got the Sean Payton on the sideline with the headline, Sean Payton can't hack it. Uh, Obviously, after he calls out Nathaniel Hackett, uh, they go and they lose. Robert Sala gives Nathaniel Hackett the game ball uh, after the game, which is just kind of honestly a little pathetic, but whatever. Um, Jets I, kicked. I don't think it's pathetic. I get it. It's fair. You know, I mean, it's fair, but I don't know. We don't. We all know what Nathaniel Hackett's actually doing on that team, which is just hanging out with Aaron Rodgers. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyways, uh, so the Jets kicked field goals from the 17, 9, 10, and 13-yard lines in this game. Denver kicked field goals from the 14 and the 13. Nobody could find the end zone. 
uh, a Quincy Williams strip sack of Russell Wilson and Bryce Hall uh, touchdown return basically sealed the game. Uh, Brees Hall got the offense going after their first four drives resulted in only 20 yards. He ended the day with 177 rushing yards. Denver, I thought they started out strong. I didn't think I was going to get to post my meme, uh, but in the second half, they were just shut down. Three three straight three and outs. Uh, They got a fresh chance on one of them after a muff punt, and then they fumbled two plays later. Just a train wreck. Uh, Mark, Denver has the worst DVOA defense ever measured through five games. Like Historically bad stuff. This was something we sniffed out before the season. And um, I was a little too high on Denver coming into the year. I had them winning nine games. Um, and I thought Sean Payton, they won seven games last year. I thought Sean Payton would at least make them a little bit better on offense. And I did say, however, I the reason I wasn't in on Denver and the reason I didn't go all in, like maybe at the beginning of the offseason I wanted to, was because of the fact that you looked at the defense on paper and it just was not very impressive. And you thought about the fact that they lost to Giro Evero last year. And I think that that mattered a lot. You brought in Vance Joseph. I think he's incompetent. And I think this defense is devoid of talent. Now they're trading pieces off of it. Um, We sniffed this out and we saw it coming that this defense wasn't going to repeat what it did a year ago. Um, the offense is probably about the same as it was last year, which is pathetic. Uh, but the true story here, everyone's going to focus on Sean Payton. Everyone's going to focus on Russell Wilson. And a lot of that, you know, rightfully so, especially on the Sean Payton point. Um, but the defense is the story because it is historically, historically bad. I mean, Brees Hall got whatever he wanted. Yeah. Uh, on the Jets side, another injury-related thing here, Elijah Vera Tucker. Uh, I don't know if you saw this. He's now out for the year with an Achilles injury. So the Jets' offensive line sustains another big blow here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it feels like – I mean, how many injuries have we talked about on this show? Like injuries injuries are just so rabid right now. Like it feels like every game, uh, every single game that we've talked about has had a massive injury. Well, we're about to talk about another massive injury. We'll go to Minnesota, uh, yeah. where the Kansas City Chiefs beat the Vikings 27-20. to 20. Uh, Two injuries, actually. Uh, Kansas City fans held their collective breath when Travis Kelsey limped off the field with a non-contact injury late in the first half. He did not return uh, for the first series after halftime, which led to a lot of speculation. But then he was back in the game. Uh, and he had five receptions on the drive. He came back. He scores the game-winning touchdown. Uh, the injury was reported as a low ankle sprain. Justin Jefferson was held to three catches for 28 yards, and he left the game in the fourth quarter with a hamstring injury, and he is now going on IR, meaning he will miss at least four weeks, uh, which leads me to the Viking season. I mean, it was over, but it's really over now. You're one and four. Justin Jefferson's on IR This game epitomizes Kirk Cousins' 14-play touchdown drive to make it a one-score game. But then at the end of the game, you get to the 38-yard line, and there's five seconds left, and Cousins doesn't even throw it to the end zone. He takes a sack to end the game. And so um, it's just Kirk Cousins. It's what it's going to be. Minnesota is another one of those teams that's going nowhere, and it would behoove them to not win many more games. And I think part of that 
I put out on Twitter with the Justin Jefferson news that Kirk Cousins, they need to trade him. Last year of his deal, uh, you want to make sure you've got a top five pick. And people were saying he's not going to get that. It's like, I know. I mean, I'm saying they might mess around and win a couple games if they keep him. Like, send him to the Jets. Send him to the Falcons. Send him somewhere. Send him to Siberia. I, it doesn't matter. But get Kirk Cousins off the team and just make sure you keep losing football games. That's my takeaway here. Yeah, I, I absolutely think they should trade Kirk Cousins. And I, I think that, you know, honestly, like he's worth a first-round pick to the Jets. Uh, and I know we've talked about this before. I, I don't know if the Jets would do it and Zach Wilson's looking better. He's worth a first-round pick to the Jets because I think he could legitimately turn them into a competitive contender of a playoff team. I don't know about Super Bowl contender, but right under a Super Bowl contender – uh, which the Jets should want to do. Yeah, I wouldn't give a first for him, but I'd give a second. I I think as much as the Jets need him, the Vikings need him out of the building. So that's working in your way a little bit too. Yeah, I, I just, man, it is hard to hard to fathom how much better the Jets would be with Kirk Cousins right now. Yeah. All right, let's roll on to Sunday night football, the game of the year, Mark. Two NFC heavyweights facing off the Dallas Cowboys at the San Francisco 49ers. We'll find out where these teams stack up, and we found out pretty quick. that uh, We found out. Yeah, we found out. Uh, Dallas just gets blasted by the 49ers. What? 42 that, to 10. That meme um, on on Twitter, F around and, and find out. The Cowboys F'd around. And found out that that's what yeah. happened this, uh, this Sunday night. Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, just horrible, horrible stuff. Uh, Dak Prescott was awful. Run game didn't help. Uh, but Prescott threw three interceptions and five pass attempts. Jimmy Kimsky tweeted out that Dak Prescott's thrown three interceptions in his last five attempts, and I replied and I said, "Yeah, but don't let that distract you from the fact that his other 19 attempts were so good or were good enough to make it keep it to a five-score game." Like, just awful. Uh, when when not pressured, emphasize not pressured. Dak was eight of 17 for 77 yards, two interceptions, a 25 QB rating, and negative 13.1 percent completion percentage over expectation uh, the Cowboys leading receivers in this game were CD lamb who had four receptions for 49 yards and the 49ers defense, which had three receptions for 49 yards. So it was, it was awful for the Cowboys on the 49ers side at following a game in Arizona where Purdy only threw one in completion. He threw for 252 yards and four touchdowns on the Dallas, this Dallas defense that's supposed to be really good in the best performance of his career. He's only the fourth quarterback since 1950 to win each of his first 10 regular season starts. He is lapping the rest of the league in EPA. Like I honestly, I think, I think we're about to get into territory. If he continues this, we're going to get into territory where Brock Purdy has MVP, uh, serious MVP push behind him. The thing that might steal that is Christian McCaffrey might also have that. Uh, also, Christian McCaffrey, uh, I, I have way too many stats for this game. Sorry, I'm just going to put them all out here. But uh, Christian McCaffrey lost a fumble that snapped his streak of 995 consecutive carries without one. He almost made it to 1,000. Uh, he did score a touchdown, which extended his streak to 14 games. He's only the fifth player in NFL history to do that. 
First place is Ladanian Tomlinson with 18. So if he scores in five consecutive, five more consecutive games, he will hit that. Um, which, by the way, I should have looked up their schedule and seen who they play uh, in those five games, just because that might be fun. I think I don't know if that gets to the Eagles game. That'd be kind of crazy if that was the potential record-breaking game. It's not. It's two games before that. So, anyways, uh, the other one, my last deal on this game, San Francisco is the sixth team in NFL history to score over 30 points in each of their first five games. The 2000 Rams, the 07 Patriots, the 2011 Patriots, 2013 Broncos, and the 2018 Rams. All of those teams except the 2000 Rams made it to the Super Bowl. The Rams lost in the wild card round. The four teams that made it to the Super Bowl went a combined 0-4 in the Super Bowl. So maybe some – you combine that with – Kyle Shanahan's postseason troubles, and there's some ominous things brewing out there on the horizon for the 49ers in the postseason. Another fun tidbit of this game, and I'll get to my main takeaway on this game, but a fun tidbit of this game is who's the defensive coordinator for the Dallas Cowboys? Dan Quinn. Who was Kyle Shanahan's boss when they lost 28 to 3, which Kyle Shanahan gets to thrown gets to have thrown back in his face, even though the decisions of who impacted that? It's Quinn, right? Quinn was the head yeah. coach, right? Yeah, Dan yeah. Quinn was the head coach of that team. So that's a fun little fun little side plot there. You know Shanahan's probably got some feelings about Dan Quinn because without a doubt, Dan Quinn cost them that game, in my opinion, more than Shanahan's play calling did with some of his decisions defensively, some of his decisions in terms of timeouts and when to go for it and things like that in that game. Um, yeah, I, I just, that's a fun one. But taking aside that, and but one more thing on the Dallas defense, actually. Um, a stat that I had going into this game was that the Cowboys were number one um, in, in the NFL at defending the left side of the field, and they were also number one at defending the right side of the field. But when it came to the middle of the field, they were 27th. That was shown in this game. San Fran got whatever they wanted in the middle of the field, it felt like, especially with George Kittle, and especially with Christian McCaffrey. Um, so, uh, yeah, I... I I think that this showed a lot about not just the guy I'm going to get to, but it says a lot about the Dallas defense that people tripped over themselves to fawn over after looking good against Daniel Jones and Zach Wilson um, and then losing to the Cardinals. So I think the Dallas defense was always overrated. Um, I don't think it was ever quite nearly as elite as people wanted to make it seem. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I do think uh, I, I keep pushing. I want to talk about Dak. But I keep pushing it back because I'm remembering something else I want to talk about in the game and I want to finish with Dak. But Parsons, M- 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 or Michael Parsons, I don't know about you, Shane, but if the Eagles lost 42-10, to 10, would you want to see Jalen Carter jersey swapping with the running back of the team on the other team that just made your, made your defense look like a total – incompetent fraud job like uh, not, I not thought unless you not unless you stripped him for seven of those 10 points yeah yeah I, I that's fair that's fair I, i'm not this has nothing to do with parsons as a player um i, I did just i do just think like you know i i would i would have hated to see that as if i was a cowboys yeah. fan after that night like that was such a depressing game Like you never, they were never close in that game. And to be celebratory buddy, buddy after the game, doing a Jersey swap, that seemed weird to me. Maybe I'm just being a hater. 
Um, but let's get to something that will definitely make me sound like a hater uh, because I've defended Dak for a long time. Um, I think there's been times where people, the criticism of Dak has went too far. Dak Prescott looked utterly incompetent in that game. Um, and it looked like he had no answers for any of the questions on the test. He looked like someone who got a test put in front of them on a, on a Monday morning and totally forgot to study over the weekend. Like, I just think that that he looked like he didn't watch tape. Like, he looked like he had no idea what the 49ers were going to do. He looked like he didn't know that they had two good linebackers in Fred Warner and Drake Greenlaw. Like, that was just a surprise to him in how they'd be deployed, and he just threw it directly at them. Um, I, I just – I don't know how you defend that Dak performance. He looked totally hopeless. Um, he had no feel in the pocket for pressure. Um, he was throwing the ball away in a, in a blowout. Like it looked like at times he was th- afraid to throw interceptions, even while he was getting blown out. And then he just started throwing them. Like <laughs> I, I don't know what's wrong with Dak. I, I think part of it, there was one play um, where he pulled the Kirk Cousins and he he gave himself up like three seconds before a defender got there. And there is definitely a huge part of the fact that he hasn't run since he got hurt a couple of years ago. And a lot of the time he's able to, you know, get by with a long time. He was able to get by with a good play caller and a great offensive line and good talent around him. Um, but there are times where you need some sort of pocket presence and some sort of athleticism to get yourself out of situations against good teams. And Dak doesn't seem to have that anymore. Yeah, in the in the last three times that he's played the 49ers, he's completed 56% of his passes and thrown three touchdowns versus six interceptions. And that's the two playoff losses in 2021, 2022, and then this regular season performance. By the way, that's against three different defensive coordinators. That's Sala, that's D'Amico Ryans, and that's Steve Wilkes. So it's not like this is one guy that just has the book on Dak. This is three different coordinators that have been able to cook up a good recipe for Dak. Yeah. Yep. 49ers continue to look dominant. Uh, The Cowboys definitely get a reality check there. I do think the Cowboys can get back in. Like if you're going to, you would rather know you've got some problems now and have some time to fix them. Uh, I wish the Eagles had, you know, one of which, I mean, they get the Dolphins in a couple weeks, but I wish that Eagles 49ers game was earlier in the season too, just so you could see where you stack up uh, instead of having to wait so long. But uh, definitely a depressing game for Cowboys fans and establishes a clear pecking order in the NFC. So I said all that about the Cowboys, right? My one last note here, my best bet of week six and my early leans is absolutely Cowboys minus two at the Chargers. The Cowboys will win that game. It will be a home game for the Cowboys, by the way, as well. That Charger Stadium will be filled with transplant fraud Cowboys fans in Los Angeles. Um, uh, That is going to be a Cowboys home game, and this is exactly when the Cowboys bounce back. Everyone's going to say, like, bet the Chargers off a bye. We just saw what the Cowboys are last week. I expect them to bounce back and win that game. By the way, Mike McCarthy this offseason – Kellen Moore wants to light up the scoreboards. I want to play defense. We're going to run the ball and play defense. How'd that defense do for you, McCarthy? Yeah. How'd running the ball do for you? Three interceptions. Uh, just terrible mistake letting Kellen Moore go. 
that is one thing I didn't factor in when I love this bet. Cowboys minus two at the Chargers. It is a Kellen Moore revenge game. I, I yeah. don't love that. By the way, I didn't mention it earlier when we talked about the Jags or the Colts game. Gardner Minshew going to Jacksonville this week to, and starting as the Colts. That's a that's a huge revenge game. And Gardner Minshew, I think, takes things like more personally than any other player in the <laughs> NFL. So uh, I think Gardner Minshew will come out guns blazing in, in that game, maybe literally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's go to Monday night football. Uh, the Green Bay Packers lost to the Las Vegas Raiders 13 to 17. Uh-oh. Uh, oh. And let's be honest. I mean, I, I watched this game. Green Bay is now in my gambling graveyard. I'll never bet on them again the rest of the season. Both of these teams stink. There's honestly not much to talk about. Uh, Josh McDaniels' decision uh, to punt the – or I can't remember what it was now. Punt. It was a punt or a field goal that was ridiculous. I can't remember now. At the end of the game, that was horrible. I blocked it from my memory. Um, Raiders stink. The Packers – it's not looked promising for Jordan Love, but it, it it's literally like it's not looked good for Bryce Young either. And they've played the same amount of games, essentially. So I think, you know, Jordan Love's been in the league forever. But when you realize he's essentially a rookie playing his fifth, maybe a sixth game, if you count some garbage time like this was expected. Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs, all these guys are so young. They haven't had their starting running back. They lost David Bakhtiari, which I don't know if we can call him your starting left tackle because he spends more time not playing football than playing football over the last three years. But Green Bay is young. And I think that, I mean, the most important thing, you want to make a push for the playoffs, and maybe they still can, but the most important thing is figuring out what Jordan Love is and getting him some reps. You've got him on a one-year deal or another you got him to sign a one-year extension. You've got him through the end of next year. You just got to find out what the guy is. And that's really all I have to say about this game. Not much to talk about here. It's just up and down and up and down with Jordan Love. Play to play, quarter to quarter, half to half. Um, you don't know what you're going to get from Love. And right now it's been pretty bad. Um, I also want to say that they're in my gambling graveyard um, for a different reason. They're not just in my gambling graveyard because they're not cashing bets. They're in my gambling graveyard because they lie about their injuries. I'm so sick of hearing Matt LaFleur say that a guy's going to play on Wednesday and then he doesn't. Just stop lying. Just don't say anything. There's a lot of teams that fantasy players and gamblers like to talk about as being secretive. Uh, the Patriots, the Ravens, there, there's teams out there that don't give injury information away. I almost respect that. Instead of what Matt LaFleur and Green Bay and Green Bay's players do every week, Christian Watson, Aaron Jones, David Bakhtiari, Quay Walker, all these guys that have had consistent designations, I I'm seeing every week, oh, expect them back Thursday. Uh, and then they don't play. And Aaron Jones, this team is a completely different team without Aaron Jones. Maybe that's something I'll say. Maybe I'll put them – maybe I'll be willing to do another bet on them if they get Aaron Jones back. But for now, I agree with you. They're in my gambling graveyard. All right. Well, that wraps up our our review show. Even though there were two less games this week, Mark, we, we didn't get any shorter on our show here, which doesn't surprise me, nor should it surprise 
our listeners. Uh, I'm going to lead off our final thoughts here by canceling a team that will almost certainly win next week after I cancel them because that's just how this works. So, so far I've canceled the Chargers until they fire Brandon Staley, the Bears for the rest of the season, and the Falcons until they get a quarterback. This week I'm canceling the New York football giants. Their negative 91 point differential is the worst point differential in the NFL. And if you look at entire seasons, it is the fifth worst total season point differential since 2000 for the Giants. That's crazy. What's even crazier is they are on track for a point differential of negative 310, which would shatter the NFL record set by the 1976 Tampa Bay Buccaneers who went negative 287. I'm canceling the Giants. Also, sidebar, Daniel Jones to the Atlanta Falcons. Ah, I'm out. I mean, I'm pretty out on Daniel Jones, but he's better than Desmond Ritter, right? More athletic than Desmond Ritter. Yeah, I guess it wouldn't be worth. I I don't I just think want the, the Falcons upgrade... so badly to go get a quarterback. I say I right after Desmond Ritter had a 300 yard game. Yeah, he definitely had the best game of his career. It doesn't say much, but that's definitely the best game of his career. <laughs> it's a low bar, but it's um, a bar. Yeah, yeah. I I think that Daniel Jones wouldn't – the upgrade to Daniel Jones wouldn't be worth giving up what it would take to get Daniel Jones considering what you'd have to pay him as well. So that's what I'll say. Yeah. All right. Well, Mark, do you have any final thoughts for the good people? I do like the Fields and Kyler ideas for Atlanta and Kirk more than I like uh, Daniel Jones. Uh, my final thoughts are just my – I'm just doing my early leans for the week every, every week in my final thoughts. Bears plus two and a half against the Vikings feels like – an offense without Justin Jefferson is not going to be very dynamic. Um, and the Bears seems like Justin Fields has found something. Vikings defense is not very good, so I like the Bears there. I also like the over at over 44. Bears are undefeated on the over this year. 5-0 and uh, in Bears games the over has been. I like the Texans plus 1.5 at the Saints, like I said. I like the Niners minus 5 at the Browns. Um, I just think the Browns are not very good. I like the Lions minus three at the Buccaneers. I don't love it, but I might not end up betting that. I just think the Lions are a lot better than Tampa. I like the Eagles minus six and a half at the Jets. I like the Cardinals plus seven at the Rams. Uh, And last but not least, I mentioned it. I like the Cowboys minus, let's see if that line moves, minus one and a half at the Chargers. All right. There you have it. Mark's early leans of the week. Mark is on an absolute heater uh, in gambling. I, I thought I was having a great week because I was up like six <laughs> units. I'm up like 22 on the year. And Mark was like, I'm up 25 this weekend. So uh, check yeah. out Mark's gambling advice. It's either better than mine or he's more confident in it. And he wagers more than I do. One of the two. Yeah, it's it's just the way that I, I do it. It's like my bets, I have, I have bets I'm extremely confident in and then bets that are almost hunches almost lean plays. Like I, I like it a little bit. Let me throw it out there. Um, and, and it would feel crazy to bet the same amount on both. So I, I will have a play that's a 10 unit play and then five plays that are one unit plays. So, if, you know, these runs are hinged on a couple big bets. Like last night I ended up going, uh, I think I went six and four at minus two units, but if the Phillies would have won that game, I would have been seven and three at plus 12 units. So that's a huge swing right there on one game. 
Tarnum yeah. being doubled up. There you are. <laughs> I did see that play, by the way. So, uh, all right. That play actually, you. real, real baseball corner here, hot diamond, hot diamond corner. That play didn't bother me. So I, I did a whole scene there earlier. The the way that they managed the pitching in the game is what bothered me. Everyone's going to focus on the last play. You take the negative with the positive with Bryce. He's aggressive and makes a lot happen. Um, so there's going to be negatives like that sometimes. So everyone's freaking out about that play. I don't care. All right. Well, thank you guys for joining us for episode 126 of Chalk Talk, reviewing every game in the NFL Week 5 slate and the Phillies games. Uh, If you enjoy what you heard on the show, and we know that you do, smash that subscribe button and turn on notifications so you don't miss our next episode. Drop us a five-star rating and review wherever you stream your podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at ShaneHalfNFL. Mark is at MarkHenryJr. We will catch you guys next time.